welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, we are in Ephesians in the middle of this intentional living series. But today we're going to take um, a recap of last week when we were in Jeremiah 29. Because last week we talked about something called the 711 principle. How many of you were here last week to hear that? I will do a quick recap. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says this For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so we love this verse 11, and we put it on T-shirts. We have it on coffee mugs. It's on our refrigerator because we love knowing that God has good and prosperous plans for us. And that's good. But we learned that we far too often forget verse 7. And verse 7 says this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity to the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God was asking the Jewish exiles who were trapped in Babylon to bless this enemy territory and to bless this enemy people, to make a home in the very place that they were exiled amongst enemies. Not an easy thing to do. And add on top of that, don't forget verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so what we learned is that the Lord is promising blessings to his exiled people. And this blessing came amidst the burden. Anyone here have any burdens in their life? I'm telling you, the Lord can bless you in the midst of the burden. Instead of sometimes God answering our prayers to remove a burden, he decides to redeem it. And some of us need to hear that today. God redeeming a burden. If you're in a dark place, I want you to know that God's word says he has not abandoned you. He has not given up in you. He has not turned his back on you. He may not be answering the prayer the way you want it to be answered. Perhaps he's choosing to redeem it in a different way. I'll put on the screen a picture of Nightbird Jane, this famous singer. You, you've, most of you heard her sing this incredible song. She's battling cancer. She stole the hearts of millions of people as she uh, went on the show, America's Got Talent, and she uh, was chosen to be one of the finalists. An amazing story because of her faith in Christ that carried her through this cancer diagnosis and using this as a platform to give praise to God in the midst of her incredible suffering. Her life is evidence that God's blessings come amidst the burdens. Sometimes God does not remove it. He didn't remove it for the Babylonian exiles, but he said he blessed them. And that 7-Eleven principle reminds us that it's not about Slurpees. It's not about 99-cent hot dogs. The 7-Eleven principle is this. You don't get the blessings of verse 11 without first being committed to the blessings in verse 7. Because God calls you to be a blessing to others, to seek the peace and prosperity and shalom of the city in which you're exiled. And if you feel exiled, feel like an outsider, feel misunderstood, God's got a word to say, I want to bless you. 
The 7-Eleven principle is this. God does want to bless you, but he wants to see your heart and your trajectory committed to be a blessing to others. See, intentional living always begins by being filled up with the love of God, and then it overflows to blessing others. And with that as a backdrop of our intentional living series, now we turn to Ephesians 2, verse 8, which says this. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the Apostle Paul, just to remind you, he's writing to Christians in Ephesus, and my plan is in the new year is to spend several weeks going through Ephesians. But today we're going to take just a tiny little glimpse of it and try to give an overview from chapter one and some other chapters. But this verse is an incredible verse. In fact, I have a small group of guys, we study the Bible every week, and just these past weeks, these two weeks, guess what memory verse was the one that was on our plan? It was Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Unbelievable timing because God has a word for you. He has a word for me today. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I believe that someone needs to hear these words today. Oh, it's by his grace that God looks upon you and wants to give you his grace. Are you ready to receive it? Have you already received it? Are you living into it? Now, the things with our small group we wrestled with are these two uh, amazing ideas that seem polar opposites at the same time are simultaneously true. Here are the two ideas. First of all, that every saved person is responsible to put their faith in Christ as Lord. It's the first truth. Here's the second truth, though, that that salvation that comes by grace through faith, it itself is a gift from God. And so, yes, it's your responsibility, and at the same time, God is the initiator of this grace, of this faith. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, it is a gift of God. So the question is, well, what is this it that's a gift? What is this gift itself? Literally, in the Greek, because that's the original language, and again, you all know I spent a lot of money learning things like this. So I got to use it on occasion. So I looked it up in the original language. It reads something like this. This is what Paul says. For grace saved you through faith. This is not your doing, gift of God. That's all he says, gift of God. Well, thanks, Paul. That really helps a lot. He just says, gift of God. Okay. Well, what is this gift of God? Is the gift God's grace or is the gift faith itself? You can see how it could be either one. Or is the gift something even bigger than that? What is this gift of God from Ephesians 2.8? Well, we know in Ephesians 2.9, whatever this is, it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So here's what we know. Paul is marveling at God's gift of salvation. And I believe God gifts faith in Christ to believers. So I do believe that. And also I believe that the grace that comes by this faith, that's a gift also. So the faith itself is a gift. The grace that comes through faith is a gift. This whole process of God initiating salvation in every one of us is a gift. That's what I think he's talking about. God's whole act of salvation is a gift. This is what the Bible's saying. This is what Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are saying. But the Bible also says it's humankind's responsibility in this process of salvation. Well, how so? John 1, 12. 
John writes, but to all who did receive him, that is Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the question for you is, have you received him? Have you believed in his name? That's the first question. Have you chosen to follow King Jesus? Because the Bible seems to imply that you need to make a choice. And perhaps there's someone here or someone listening who has not made that clear choice to follow Jesus. Or maybe Jesus is like one of like several things that you follow, right? And Jesus is saying, no, I want to be the one. I need to be your ultimate. Choose Jesus. In fact, Paul preached this way. Paul preached as if you had a choice in this salvation. Uh, We see that in Acts 17, where Paul is preaching to idol worshipers in Athens, and he skillfully invites them to put their faith in Christ. And he says that people should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. He, being the Christ, is actually not far from each one of us. Do you hear that wonderful invitation of Paul? If you don't know Christ yet, you can say yes. You can find your way to him. You can feel your way towards him. He is not far from you. If Christ is not your Lord, if Christ is not your Savior, if Christ is not your friend yet, today could be that day. Choose him. See, the Bible's clear that you are to choose Jesus if you want to be in his family. But then we go to Ephesians 1.4, and we get this bigger picture again, where it says, Paul says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Well, wait a minute. Wait, how do I choose Christ if he's already chosen me before the creation of the world? I don't get this. See, the Bible says God chooses us. Before we ever existed, God already had his loving eyes on you to belong to his forever family. And so without God's merciful intervention, you could not have acquired saving faith on your own, is what the scriptures are saying. So even you choosing Christ reminds you of God's initiation to gift you first to choose him, gifting you the ability to say yes to him. That's a gift. And so as much as Christians, we wrestle with this conundrum of us choosing Christ and Christ choosing us, I want you to leave encouraged and clear about one thing today. Paul's whole intention of writing this letter was so that you would be encouraged as a follower of Christ, okay? If anyone's a follower of Christ in here, I think there's a lot of you in here, I want you to leave encouraged. That was Paul's intention. He wants to encourage people to know that they are secure in the grip of God's grace. When I ask you to put your hands and make a grip, I want you to imagine that God is holding you in his grip. Now I'm going to ask you, who is strong enough to undo God's grip? <laughs> no one. Paul is saying, if you're a child of God, God's got you through sickness, even through death, through confusions and calamity. God has got you in his grip of grace. I don't want anyone to leave discouraged today as a child of God. Paul's whole intention, Paul's main thing is to stress about the beauty of God's sovereign strength. In fact, scholar N.T. Wright says this, the main thing Paul wants to stress about all of this is the sheer, almost unbelievable, magnificent kindness of God. If I had one prayer for you today, you'd walk out of here experiencing 
the kindness of God. That before the creation of the world, he looked upon you with love. Before you did anything good or bad, he already loved you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you had said yes to Jesus, if you've yielded to him, that is true about you. This mystery of, yes, you chose Christ, but he chose you first before the creation of the world. And then in Ephesians 1.11, Paul says this. He says, Paul encourages believers by reminding them that they're adopted children and that they now receive God's abundant inheritance in verse 11. You don't have to turn there right now, but just take that note. That we have this incredible inheritance as God's chosen beloved. And then in verse 18, he says something very similar. Paul prays that the believers would understand God's inheritance among the saints. Now, at first glance, it looks like Paul is simply repeating himself here. He's talking about us having the inheritance of God. And in verse 18, he says the same thing. But scholars point out, actually, there's a nuance here in the language. That verse 18 is not talking about our inheritance from God, but actually God's inheritance from us. Think about that for a second. That we are a gift and treasure to God. That we are God's inheritance. That God is blessed by us being his kids. Now, I don't understand this, but this is what Paul is saying. Because I'm going to ask you, does anyone need to hear a word of hope today? Because in Christ, as followers of Christ, as his beloved chosen children of God, not only is God blessing you with his inheritance, but the simple fact that you are in his family, you are God's inheritance. You are a blessing to God somehow. Amazing. You're God's beloved. He has a plan for you. And even though you might have circumstances that make it look like God has forgotten you or he doesn't care about you or he's overlooked you or you're in the back of the line to get some of his answered prayers, I know life might look like that right now. But the truth is that God has loved you before you're ever born. That's what's true about you, followers of Jesus. He is so full of mercy that he rescued you from death he rescued you from unbelief, and he's gifted you with faith to choose him. That's how much he loves you. And now we go to Ephesians 2.10, if you'll turn with me. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this word for workmanship in the ESV, the English Standard Version, that's what we have, our, our black Bibles. You might have that at home as well. Uh, the word workmanship, the NIV, the New International Version, they translate it handiwork. And some translations go even further, like the New Living Translations calls you a masterpiece. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Now, the Greek word, the common denominator is this word poema. Say that with me, poema. Or poema in the Latin. Now, we get our word, you might guess, poem from that. You may have heard of this before. And so with all this beautiful mercy and gifting from God that Paul portrays in chapters 1 and leading up into these verses in chapter 2, Paul's making this incredible claim that we are God's poema. Perhaps even as some people like to translate this, a work of art, a poema. 
that God's children are a special created creation made with purpose and intention from a good and gracious God. So I want you to turn to someone next to you or behind you and say, hey, you're a work of art. Go ahead, turn to them. You're a work of art. <laughs> now, this happened in the first service. Saw a little hesitation from some people. You live with them. You know their annoying habits. And so you get to turn to them right now and say, you're a piece of work. Okay, go ahead. You can say that too. The reality is you are a work of art. We're all pieces of work. We're all imperfect, right? So even with all of our imperfections, what God says about his children is our deepest identity, that we are God's poema, his handiwork, his workmanship, his masterpiece, maybe even his work of art. Now, one word of caution, okay, for taking notes. Caution. You're not just a work of art to be admired. You're all beautiful and good-looking, okay? But the whole point of Paul isn't to say, oh, look how beautiful you are. Let's admire your beauty. Let me give you a story. Back in Los Angeles, uh, uh, my wife Katie and I, we'd take our kids to this science center called the California Science Center. It's, at the, it's kind of next to this little tiny kind of weird school called USC. Um, but anyways, so at the USC campus is the California Science Center where my wife went to school at SC. And so in that science center, they have these amazing displays. And one of the displays is this replica of the Wright brothers, their glider, like the, the first kind of manned flight um, on U.S. soil. And they have these amazing um, planes, particularly like these jets that have done these incredible missions uh, serving our, our country. And also the, the pinnacle of all of the displays is the space shuttle Endeavor and all of its majesty, okay? And as we walk through this museum, I want you to imagine that what if I told my kids that the pinnacle of all of these things being displayed, that the pinnacle of the space shuttle is this moment right now, sitting in a hangar and us taking pictures and selfies. This is the biggest moment for the space shuttle. What if I told them as we walk through every single display that this is the most important thing that this amazing instrument of technology has done is sitting right here so you can snap a photo of it. You see, it would be a serious misrepresentation of the purpose of these masterfully created aircraft by saying they're here to be displayed in a museum. I'm glad they're there, but that's not the purpose. That's not the pinnacle of their existence. There's another reason why they exist. Let me ask you about you. Yes, you're a work of art. You are God's poet, Emma. But your creator's intention wasn't for you to sit on a wall to be admired by tourists and for selfies. Literally, you're not made to just take selfies all day. Your purpose is to be an instrument of God. Not just to sit on a wall to be admired, not just for people to take a picture of you, but God has shaped and fashioned you for a purpose See, God's creation, they're made with a purpose in mind, and Christians are to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says, that God has fashioned you for this purpose. So here's what I believe what it's saying. You are a unique tool in the hands of God. See, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. See, God's poemas have a purpose, 
We're created in Christ for good works, and God has made us to do these prepared good works. We are God's masterpieces, but it's the intention of good works that reflect our good creator. We're not just meant to sit in a wall, to be gazed at. See, that's why I like translating the word poema like the NIV does as God's handiwork. Because I get this picture, not just of a masterpiece hanging on the wall, and you all are beautiful masterpieces, but actually even more so a tool particularly fashioned in the hand of God for some special purpose. And that gets me excited. In fact, I brought a a couple tools from my kitchen. I'm a cook. I'm a pretty good cook, by the way. I know you got some, I got some cooks out there. Okay, we've been talking cooking. I brought, who knows what this is? Yeah, it's great. Who knows what this is? A whisk. First service, someone said twirly thing. Thank you, sir. Twirly thing. No, whisk. Get Cheese grater, whisk. Now, I'm telling you, this cheese grater was fashioned for a purpose. It has certain lines. It has certain grooves. It was made to grate cheese. That's its purpose. Now, if I want to, though, whip up some fresh whipped cream, with the amazing organic strawberries I just got on Friday from the farmer's market. And man, I want to add a little sweetener to that. And you know what I use? I use this, right? Now, but what if, I, what if I say, I'm going to make some great whipped cream. I'm going to use this. What's going to happen? It's going to be a little messy, right? Or what if I decide I'm going to get a block of cheese and I'm going to make some enchiladas, okay? With some avo- fresh avocado on top and the nice red sauce inside and on top. Going to heat that up at 450 for about five minutes. I mean, I'm getting hungry just talking about it, right? And I'm going to use this to grate my cheese. What am I going to get? A lot of frustration, right? Because this was not crafted to grate great cheese, and this was not crafted to whip cream or, or whisk eggs. They each have a purpose. Now, here's the thing. Each one is equally special. One is not greater than the other, Right? Well, actually, one is greater than the other, actually. So first service liked that joke quite a bit, but they thought it was a little bit cheesy. They, oh, I got a bigger laugh out of this service. Okay, so what if the greater is like, I wish I was a whisk. I wish I was made to do it. it I, I can't believe that I don't get to whip cream like he gets to do. And what the whisk is like, well, I'm bummed out because you get the great cheese. You're doing enchiladas and pizzas and quesadillas and fondues. And I'm bummed out that I get the boring job of whisking stuff. Who even likes that, right? Here's the reality. Each one of us in God's eyes are made for a purpose. You're crafted. You're gifted. You're resourced. You're given something special to do something special. Ephesians 2 says specifically that God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. That means he might want some of you at some point to be grating cheese. And that means he's going to shape you like a cheese grater to grate that cheese. And some of you he's shaped as a whisk because he wants you whipping cream. And so he's going to shape you like that. For that purpose, how has God shaped you for his purposes? Do you even believe that God has shaped and crafted you for his purposes? That he's prepared good works in advance for you to do? There's something in you that God intends for you to fulfill. Each are shaped to do something good. Each of us are fashioned differently. One is not better than the other. So I want you to ask yourself this simple question. I want you to leave encouraged, but I want you to leave challenged. 
How has God shaped, gifted, resourced, crafted me, gifted me for his purposes? How am I uniquely shaped to do something for the kingdom? It's okay if you haven't figured it out yet. And by the way, I'm not saying it's only one thing one time. I'm saying God has gifted and shaped you for a particular kind of contribution, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life you are in. If you're a follower of Christ, God has gifted you and resourced you. He's placed things within you. He's made you special, a poema, to be a tool in his hands to do something good in this world that point people to him. Some of you, God has gifted in this season, for whatever reason, to be, have the ability to be incredibly generous with your time. Some of you have been gifted by God for this season to be incredibly generous with your resources and your finances. Amen. We need those both. One's not better than the other. Sometimes we combine them both too, right? God has gifted you. Some of you are gifted with music or with accounting. Some of you are gifted with kids. You get where this is going. God has gifted and shaped you. As you see yourself as an instrument in the hands of God, he wants to use you for his purposes. How has God shaped you to contribute? Let me ask you more specifically, how can you help your church CPC in this season? Man, we're praying that some of you would say, Pastor Tim, I'm going to go through the training. I'm going to go through the background check. Once a month, I'm going to commit to help kids this service once a month. Man, we need about 20 of you to do that. I'm honest with you. We need you to do that. Would you commit even once a month? I'll go through the training, go through the background check. Man, maybe God's tugging at your heart to do that. Maybe you'll find out you're made for this. And it's okay if you're not. Thanks for blessing us. God's made you for something else. We're going to help you find what that is. See, let us know how we can help you discover how God has wired you to do good. Because as long as you're still on planet Earth, God has a purpose for you. He's shaped you. He's wired you. He's given you gifts and resources and motivations and desires to be a tool in his hands, specially crafted to glorify him and to bless others. You see, it doesn't have to be big or spectacular, but simply needs to be faithful to what the master creator wants. We belong to him and we are most fulfilled when we align our lives to his purposes. Pray that you would be aligned. I want to say one more thing. Here's what Paul isn't saying in this passage of Scripture. It's not about your private spiritual life. It's not about you just personally growing and being enlightened. It says, for we are God's workmanship. We. It's not just you. We. Paul's saying first that we as a community of faith are God's workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece. So I want you to think about it as a beautiful tapestry. Okay? And each of us have an important but different part of making something beautiful that glorifies God. And within that tapestry, you are a unique and chosen piece of it. Yeah, it might be tiny. It might be big. It might be more noticeable. It might be a a prettier color than another one. But you're part of a beautiful tapestry that glorifies God and blesses others. And you're part of it. So when we read Ephesians 2.10, we realize that we are the poema of God. We are God's masterpiece. Yes, his work of art, the work of his hands, his handiwork. But we are a poema with a purpose. Say that with me. We are a poema with a purpose. 
We're not just meant to hang on a wall to be admired, though you're beautiful, all of you. God thinks you're beautiful. You're God's beloved, chosen in him before the creation of the world and made to do good works that God has prepared and shaped and crafted you in advance for you to do and fulfill. And guess what, friends? When you lean into those, life is fun. You're going to love doing these good works. You see, God has made you with specific gifts and resources and skills and motivations, not just to bless yourself, but to bless the world so that people might see God's love and come to a deeper knowledge of him. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good, not just to bless me, not just to bless you singularly, but for the common good that you're gifted to be a blessing to others. You see, American Christianity can become so hyper-individualized that we forget that deep inside, we were meant to make a difference in the world, that we were meant to join other believers who are gifted differently, not simply just to help yourself grow and to get enlightened, but for you to grow and serve others. You know, some of us were at this 9-11 remembrance yesterday in Devendorf Park across the street. It was an honor to represent the church and offer a prayer, and a lot of tears flowed as we remembered the lives lost and the many other lives lost, not just on that day, but subsequent days. You know, and several of us had a different part leading and serving in that day, and we all had a, a different reason to be there. But this is one woman who organized the whole thing, and she comes to our church, her name is Carrie Ann, and it's so clear that God has called her to help our community never forget. I mean, it's just clear that God has empowered her and strengthened her and gifted her to help each of us remember our lives are short. We cannot be promised tomorrow. And to live every day with full faith in God and full commitment to give our all to him. We're all different. God had called Carrie Ann to, to play a particular role as she's living out her short little life and my short little life. See, you too are God's poema placed on this planet for a purpose. And when you're in God's hands, you are showing God's presence to a world in need. Your life matters. Your pain matters. Your purpose is secure because you're in God's hands. Hand. Yes, you're in his grip of grace, but he's holding you because you're a tool and an instrument used for his purposes. You see, God's purposes aren't thwarted even when it feels like our lives are falling apart. Let me wrap up with this one focus. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says about all these good works that we should walk in them. So there it is again. I know God has gifted you to say yes to him. God chose you for the foundation of the world. But even though Paul wants you to be encouraged with that, he's telling you, Christians, don't forget to walk in these good works. Don't forget to live as if you are saved. Don't forget to live as if you're in the grip of God's grace. Walk in them. Yes, God has chosen us, but now Paul is charging us as believers to walk in these good works. See, this is what intentional living looks like. These are the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So I ask you, are you walking in the paths of God? 
Is this a reminder for you, for as Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit through my voice to you, to get back on the path? You've strayed. Don't forget the grip of God's grace that holds you. Don't forget who you are serving. Get back on the path. Don't forget who you are. Yes, a masterpiece of work of art, but a handiwork, his, his very own tool and instrument to be used for God's goodness. Have you got distracted along the journey, walking with the Lord? Let's turn our hearts back to him. I want to close with this one update from Nightbird, Jane the singer. She announced this recently. She said, since my addition, my health has taken a turn for the worse, and the fight with cancer is demanding all of my energy and attention. I'm so sad to announce I won't be able to continue forward on the season of America's Got Talent. Life doesn't always give breaks to those that deserve it, but we knew that already. Thank you for all your support. It means the world to me. Stay with me, she says. I'll be better soon and planning my future, not my legacy. I'm pretty beat up, but I've still got dreams. Then this last week, she gave a little update. She's still suffering, but she's full of faith of God's goodness amidst her trials. And she said this, some people call it blind denial. I call it rebellious hope. And friends, because you are God's poema, you can have rebellious hope because you serve a sovereign God who says, I'm not even going to waste your exile. I'm not going to waste all these things that feel like a prison. I'm not going to waste your suffering because of God in you, because of his grip of grace. Nothing's wasted. Followers of Christ know that we're in the Lord's hands and even amidst cancer and COVID and confusions and complications, you can have rebellious hope, not because you're a good person, but because of God's goodness in you because of Christ. Keep walking in the ways of the Lord. You serve a sovereign God. You know, the hope is that we have that one day Jesus will return. And so I want to pray for us and with you as we remember that he's coming back, that we be faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you're coming back. We know that our lives, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We know as you're returning, you want us to live each day with purpose and intentionality, you are coming back to make all things new. And so until that day, we are to give a world a preview of your goodness as we share the gospel. Yes, in word, indeed, as we feed hungry people, as we make sacrifices so that lost people and hurting people and struggling people can experience the love of God. Oh, Lord, we pray you'd help us to walk with you. Lord, if we have strayed, even as we sing these songs, would you lead us to turn back to you? Or Lord, maybe if we're in a season of discouragement, that we would see there is a blessing in the midst of the burden. Would you break through, Lord? Some of us are struggling physically or financially and relationally. We need your touch right now. Lord, we know that you don't always promise to answer the prayers the way we ask them, but Lord, we know you promise to hold us in your grip of grace. So, Lord, we sing these songs, even through tears, with hope in our hearts. Oh, Lord, we put our hope in you. Thank you that we are your poemas. Thank you, Lord. We sing to you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.